Welcome back, everyone, to part two of the Divided Films finale. Uh, just a reminder, if uh, you don't remember from the first 74 episodes, my name is JJ, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Keith. Hello! And uh, here we are. We're standing at the end here. We're, the you know, it's the light at the end of the tunnel here, Keith. It's This is our 70. We had to end on a good number right 75 episodes i think i'm very satisfied with that that's a good like all good things come to an end and this was definitely i'm so honored you presented this idea to me because i never i was always cautious about doing a podcast but then you suggested this idea to me and i i didn't even hesitate i said let's do it and we learned not i was gonna say we learned a lot about each other which we did but we learned a lot about just i think i've become a better uh film reviewer a better podcaster and also a better friend yeah i think yeah i think i've gotten better at um better at speaking i suppose because you know i i don't know about you i'm sure you have also like just from editing and me just listening to the episodes uh as we prepare them for release i always try to see little ways i can improve and be a better not just podcaster but that's better you know how to, how to be more articulate yeah. and you know so far i guess uh, so good you know sometimes that escapes me but you know i think this podcast has been a lot of fun and you know we might return to it one day or who knows maybe explore some other podcast ideas let's just leave that out there in the universe and there see will always the be divided us. films there will there always... will be i will like to th- say though like and this might be the little bit ego i have always i always been satisfied with the results of our uh what the the score that we have settled on and i kind of feel like the score that we settled on really does is how society really feels about it and i, I i'm not I, it's just how i feel <laughs> yeah i don't think there's ever been a case where we were like drastically different from the overall consensus right because i think with having movies scored with you know a critical score and an audience score you know those are like the two extremes and usually people most people fall somewhere in the middle right and um i think that it's good to kind of have your finger on like um a more general opinion because you know it's you know the critics have their opinion and then the audiences you know it's um it's specific people who go on to rotten tomatoes to to rate movies and it's uh, it's not reflective of all audience members. It's it's a general gauge. So I like that we can maybe contextualize a lot of these uh, opinions and and you know kind of come to a more universal conclusion on a lot of them. So that's kind of been the most satisfying thing, aside from being able to talk to you on a weekly basis, Keith. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been doing the podcast just as long as we lived with each other, or maybe even a little right? bit longer. But I just kind of. We, this is basically we renewed our friendship lease. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, that lease is always available to renew again. Uh, so anytime we want to do that, we'll we'll do that. So here we go. We're continuing our topic here on divided trends, right? So in the, in the part one, we we're talking about different kinds of adaptations that tend to be divided. So. Uh, you know, musicals adapted into film, video games adapted into film, those tend to be divided. So now we're going to talk about 
different kinds of uh, movie revivals, right? Like franchises that are brought back, but in different ways, different kinds of spins. And yeah, these kind of movies also tend to be divided. So the first of these that we're going to discuss is um, the, you know, what I kind of call, I guess this is maybe like an unofficial um, classification, but the gender swap revamp. Right. You go, girl. Uh, so we're talking about movies that have been brought back within the last five or ten years of older franchises. Uh, but the new twist is that now we have female leads, uh, whereas the original versions of these movies had male leads. And again, these tend to be divided. So there's a few different kind of movies like that, like, say, like Ocean's 8 or The Hustle. But the ones that we're going to discuss for uh, this episode, we're going to be going over uh, Ghostbusters. And then Men in Black International. So um, let's start with Ghostbusters, the 2016 revival. So this movie has a fresh score with critics and a negative score with audiences. So uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 73% of critics approved, 49% of audiences approved. And the critics' consensus, Ghostbusters does an impressive job of standing on its own as a freewheeling, marvelously cast supernatural comedy, even if it can't help but pale somewhat in comparison with the classic original. And uh, boy, does it pale, I would say. Um, You know, I think this is very kind of dicey thing to bring back an old franchise. You know, like this this Ghostbusters movie is made like, Yep, I would say 25-ish years after the second one, maybe like a little longer. And, you know, it's just, it, it, I think that's always a little suspect whenever you see an old movie franchise brought back and they try to put a new spin on it. And this was, you know, kind of an underwhelming example, the 2016 Ghostbusters. What, what, what was your experience with that movie, Keith? Well, it's like, I'm. this movie's a good lesson in like, there was so much hullabaloo, and I think I'm using that word right, hullabaloo, around this Wrong. around this movie, that when you when people finally saw it, it was just like, oh really? People went nuts over this. Like it's it, and I don't mean that in like any which way. I don't mean it complimentary. I don't mean it like insultingly. It's like wow, people really went like ape shit over this movie. That really this. Uh, I would say. Where this movie fits for me, it's just, I never really knew Ghostbusters to be, like, gendered-specific, like, a male thing. And I have no problem, like, all four women are hilarious. Uh, Paul Feige Feige is a a fantastic comedic director. Like, all these people, all the people involved in this movie have done talented stuff. I don't know why Absolutely. if they were going to do a Ghostbusters movie, um, they completely like it's it's like set in another universe almost like I, like it's it's yeah. it's not a it's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's not a passing of the torch, which what no. the Ghostbusters Afterlife did. It's not uh, it's it's kind of it's also a remake of the first movie in a lot of ways. Like they kind of hit the same beats. They were setting up a. Uh, Ghostbusters cinematic universe Sony was I don't know it, it, it's this movie's bizarre in like studio yeah in the studio uh, it's a bizarre st- excuse me it's a bizarre study well I agree that I'm not against the idea of having an all-female Ghostbusters that's 
you know, that's not, it's neither here nor there, but it's just, it comes down to the execution, the writing. It's yeah. just, it's not funny. And the story is not interesting. And it's like one of those things that a lot of bad comedies do where they just depend on the talent to elevate the material, but there's just nothing there. Right? I yeah. laughed one time in this movie just once and that is like i think at the beginning when gabe is like oh that that person you just talked to was dead and kirsten wig is like what and then gabe is like oh well you must have been talking to his grandson then yeah. <laughs> like that's like the one time i like, <laughs> smirked and yeah that was like in the first five minutes i i didn't like even smile or chuckle nothing for the rest of this movie it was like a lot of bad comedy and yeah. you know like let Kate McKinnon be weird. Let Melissa McCarthy be aggressive, right? Let um, Kristen Wiig be kind of awkward. It's like, you know, that that can work, but, you know, you need, like, an actually interesting story for that to happen. Well, yeah, you need characters. Like, and, and you, like, it's hard to, like, you, you have to compare this to the original Ghostbusters, in a lot of ways because it does yeah as i said before it does follow the same exact beats it doesn't do a completely different story like all the ghosts are flying around new york in the end it's it, slimer it, like it's and it, it they even do zool like it, it's like jesus what is going on here but everyone is and i know we're not the first people to say this no one to say cut no one to say cut a lot of these scenes feel like i'm watching like improv go on way too long oh especially the chris hemsworth stuff i mean yeah i don't even i didn't understand his character at all except i guess he's dumb but like it's like one of those things where they think if they let the shot go on longer it'll somehow like force a laugh or something like it'll come but, back again or something right but it was just no it's in no man's land it, it it's it, it just doesn't work and uh you know it's it's unfortunate because these are very talented people i mean yeah my argument too is that instead of doing like a hand-me-down and like giving these female actresses like you know uh, a franchise that was done by guys, give them their own original franchises, and when that's been done, it's like a lot more successful. You know, case in point, Bridesmaids, but also you know, The Heat with yes. Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy, like the same those, team basically almost. Like yeah, it's yeah, like these when they're given like new material, it can be like really great. Why have them do? Th- material that's already been done because again like you suffer from comparison like you're kind of that's a disadvantage to begin with but then also uh you know from what we see in the results it's just yeah they rely maybe too much on on the familiarity of of the franchise we can get into that i mean that's that's such a whole other thing like i why yeah i you could do a paranormal investigation show with these four girls and it can be a completely different thing it could be a paranormal comedy that isn't ghostbusters like it yeah and it i think now i can't think of who said it but i think now actresses are starting to say like let's not do what the males guys did let's create our own characters because it's we're yeah oceans oceans 11 the hustle like I'm sorry, but millennials and Gen Zs do not know what like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is like, like or like a f- not many of them have seen it. It's a great movie, but it's still that's not like what the kids are itching to see. Or even Ocean's uh, Ocean's Eight, like just do a do a caper, do a caper with Sandra Bullock. Like it's it's so bizarre. Yeah, I would love that. And I used to hear that like 
you were guaranteed like 20 million on the name alone. Well, that's certainly not true now. Like that is totally not true. Maybe with Ghostbusters, yes, but not with like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels or even I don't even think Ocean's 8 did that well. But yeah, no, it's it's I kept I this is like my second or third time seeing this movie and I said I this movie had to be cut in such a way because, uh, like, Charles Dance only has two scenes. Michael K. Williams and Matt Walsh I've... feel like they had, like, this whole... I saw behind-the-scenes footage of them, like, actually dancing. Like, they must have... They were so underutilized. Oh, my gosh. Probably... <laughs> I love Charles Dance just because, you know, I just love, like, his work in Game of Thrones. And for him to be in this and wasted, like, why did you waste his time putting him in this movie where he has, like, nothing to contribute? You're right. He's, like, in, like, two scenes. That was, like, you know, totally pointless. Um, You know, the whole plot with, like, the bad guy and everything, I just, like, I just didn't care. And the effects to me were, like, almost a little too overwhelming. Like, they were, like, so bright and so um over the top right like it just it it there was like a disconnect for me everything about it felt so overly produced that there was like no there was no creativity involved at all yeah it no uh and to compare it to the original ghostbusters you look at the all the different kinds of ghosts of practical effects and yeah no there's something that's so there's that gloss I want maybe I'm using the right word. There's that gloss that's on CGI nowadays. Like you know they're on a set. You know, like that, especially during that last action action scene where like they're basically surrounded by fog, and I, I, I imagine like the average Ghostbuster fan is like, why the bad guy is like an internet troll misogynist, like an incel. an incel who turns into the ghost. The, you know the the icon and they shoot him in the i like i it's it's kind of like a, a franchise at war with itself like it doesn't want to be a ghostbusters movie well then don't be a ghostbusters yeah. movie and i never it doesn't have to be no one asked for another ghostbusters well movie. did you see the well maybe did you see the new one maybe they did i did not see the recent one but it's fine. i heard that was it's fine fine right i heard that was like a little better it's but fine. um I guess some people ask for another Ghostbusters, but they should have been ignored. Okay, <laughs> like stop bringing back these old franchises. Like, let's get more new material in no, here. They could have done. And, they uh, could have done like a very, like I will n- never for the life of me understand why. Like, you bring back all these, all the original Ghostbuster cast and just recast them as different roles instead of just like, not even a cameo going like, wow, those girls did it better than. They got their shit together more than we did instead of like or a passing of the torch. Right. That is such also a calling card of what I again, I call like the gender uh, swapped revamp is that you have cameos of the original cast, but it's just weird because it's not a sequel. So it's not the same characters. It's like they're just there to remind you that they were the original cast, but like what kind of wink at the camera is that? Like it would be better if it was a sort of sequel and there was more of a tie in, like they played the same characters, but like, what's the point then of just having them there as themselves basically? Yeah, no, it, 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 it's a perplexing and it sucks that like, if, like, if you even talk about this movie, you're like, 
sexist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hate what the. I'm sure there's assholes out there, but I hate the discourse that was around this movie. Where yeah, it's it's like seeing the interview. Oh my god, I get to finally see the interview that like North Korea went oh, yeah, nuts yeah. over, and you see, it and you're like, that was what's the what's big the, deal? Yeah, exactly. Like this is it. Like. Uh, right, like I just, if anything, like I, you know, I, you know, I like these actresses. I think if, you know, there could have been a, a good version of this movie if it was done with with a more um, original storytelling. Uh, but yeah, I, because I I, I, I hate to see their talent wasted. Yeah, exactly. Because they are so funny. I feel like everyone's and trying to be funny too. That's a problem. No one is the straight man. Yeah, it's a bit of a competition. Exactly. I agree. I think. I guess. If anything, maybe Kristen Wiig is more of the straight person in this. She had to be, uh, but, but like, I, I, it just. Chris Hemsworth didn't need to be funny. Like he, like they, you know, they, again, they cast him as like the dummy. He was but, too why, stupid. Like why even? He was too stupid. It wasn't funny. It was just confusing. Like why is he so dumb? He's not saying anything funny. He's just sitting there with a stupid smile but on his face. He does stupid right though, and I haven't seen the new Thor. So, but but like, like I always appreciate like Thor's cockiness. As like, like a, or kind of stupid, and he always was good in that kind of humor. But I and I do think playing acting stupid, it's not easy. Like there's a skill to it. There are actors that do it very well. Like I think Chris Pratt, and there are actors who are very, like, and Joey kind of. Joey's like the sliding. I call it the Joey, the Joey line. Because at least like Joey Tribbiani, Joey Tribbiani line, because at one point it gets to like, all right, you're kind of charming to like, how do you even function? <laughs> right. Like, how do you get things done? Like, how do you how, like? Right. But, so like this one was just well, you have to be dumb like any other comedy. It has to be something that's not expected. You can't see it. You can't see the joke coming for it to work. And Chris Hemsworth is dumb in the most predictable ways that. At the same time, don't make any sense. Like you're right, there's funny ways to be dumb, but you have to find new ways to be dumb that we haven't seen before, yeah. and they don't do that here. I'm very curious. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm very curious to read the script and then see how much of it is not in the movie. <laughs> like I bet you, like they like, yeah. oh, just improv. I like just go. We'll edit it in post, and the editor's like, I don't know what to do here. I really don't know what to do. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, the the critics did like this. Uh, you know, like it's seventy three percent is nothing to sneeze at, and I think it may be a case of wanting it to be good, right? Like you you root for this movie to be good, and I think it's it's kind of like maybe like the train wreck thing where you know, you have a genre that is traditionally dominated by men, and now you have a, a female lead or a female ensemble, so you you're you're rooting for it. You know, you want it to be good. You don't want to shoot that down by by negatively reviewing it but yeah you should aim higher than this you know i think the fact that this does aim lower it just is is settling for mediocrity i think that that hurts the cause for more female-led franchises it's not the idea of female-led franchises it's just they deserve better 100 percent. and like i'm not including uh superheroes in this conversation like okay it's nice to have wonder woman captain marvel black widow it's nice to really have them on screen and see the actors playing them but like i'm i'm itching for like a ripley or a sarah connor and like i guess like in recent years the only person that we got is like 11 that's the only one i really could compare it to and maybe michelle yo but i think time needs to have its way with that movie first and i need it needs to you know, it needs to marinate 
for a few years, but Eleven definitely is like a great female character, like original. Yeah. Inspired by, but like well, original. Yeah, it's too bad because I'm trying to think too. Like I agree. I like I want to see more genres that are done differently, led with more um, leading actresses. So like, yeah, like like I said, I mentioned a Heat buddy comedy. But then it seemed like Melissa McCarthy was doing the same kind of character in so many other movies. At that, that was kind of like overdone, and people got tired of that, which is a shame because she. I liked Spy. I thought that was a Spy is great, funny movie, and that Spy is really funny. Like I don't, yeah, I don't know why they didn't do, and that's why Ghostbusters is. But she's playing a different kind of. She's playing a different kind of character in that. She starts off more more meek and unsure of herself, yeah. and, and it has to work her way up. It's that is different, and uh, I I don't know that movie was like the anomaly basically with with you know, the rest of where her career was going. Uh, so it, there's 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 so much potential that is is being missed there. It's frustrating. And one thing that and I, and maybe it's just Bill Murray, but like one thing that we, movies shouldn't be afraid of is like it's okay for your characters to be kind of an asshole like 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 i'm not talking about like just smoking on set or smoking on uh in the movie but it's like go like the only reason the ghostbusters start is because they want to make money from it like they they want it's more of a capitalistic like there's themes of that happening in it and i'm sure if they if they were to make a third one in like the nineties, it would have been like a franchise or something like that. But it's, there is uh it's okay to make, I mean, Bill Murray has the charm and, but so does, I think Melissa McCarthy. I think all those actresses have that certain charm, but you needed, they all were alike there. They were all on the same page trying to be the funny one. And maybe they're like a different kind of funny, but you needed the straight person. You need like e- Egon, uh, Hal Ramis is funny because he he's funny in his delivery. He's not like trying to make jokes. He's like he like you know why don't we try one without the puppy? Like you know like it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's well they all have they all have like mo- little moments here and there to be funny, but it's like yeah it's 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 done more like thoughtfully where you know. Like it's not all at once, right? Like it, this, great. And it, there's scenes in this movie where they're all like throwing jokes at you at one time, and it's like you don't even know who to, f- you don't know which character to focus on. Um, there needs to be like a little more thoughtfulness as to like how to distribute the, you know, the screen time and and the comedic moments between each character in a unique, memorable way. Uh, just just comedy one hundred and one, people. Uh, you know, not that I would know. Yeah. What. Uh, but again, it, to me, it was interesting that the critics liked it. But um, again, I think that they were trying to. You know, I I think that they they went into it maybe like we've seen this with movies good. before and that we've done. And to quote past episodes, this is like War of the Worlds or Trainwreck, as you said. Like we want it to be good. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then you know now we just to transition to the other movie in this category you know men in black international that gets divided the other way and i'm interested into kind of dissecting why yeah right and so this movie men in black international uh very low score with the critics 23 percent uh and like like a decent 
fresh score with audiences 66%, but it's still like a pretty big difference. And the consensus, amiable yet forgettable, MIB International grinds its star's substantial chemistry through the gears of a franchise running low on reasons to continue. And uh, I, I pretty much agree with a lot of that consensus. I, I had like a moment watching this movie thinking to myself like, is there anything left to explore in this world of men in black? I, I, it seems like it's just, it has run its course. That's so bizarre. That's so bizarre in a world of like, like aliens. monitoring, monitoring aliens and getting the bad ones. And they're kind of, that's bizarre. We're only four movies and we're done. <laughs> and you're, you're well, kind of right. You're kind of right, but it's so bizarre. Also, the you know amiable but forgettable, definitely forgettable. I, I have a hard time remembering a lot of the story in this movie, and it's because again they went for a lot of uh, just generic story elements. Again, someone within the good guy camp who actually is the traitor, and it's not the person you are supposed to believe it is, right? And it's like okay, I saw that coming from a mile away. I but I still I just don't care. Yeah, well they yeah they and, set up like the asshole. He's the bad guy, but he's actually like See? the good guy, and like, yeah, I'm just kind of. Also, I had no idea who the hell the hive was. Like, they really did not develop this villain at all, and that's the first one is so perfect. Like, what they do with Edgar is like, oh my god! But like the first one, it, the first one to me is a ten out of ten, a perfect film. Well, again, and this is it's deviated so far from what made that first one so unique i mean basically in this in that first movie it's like aliens exist it's no big deal and that was unique at the time because in every other movie about aliens it's a big deal that there's aliens i mean even a year prior will smith was in independence day and it's like all the big spectacle and so for you know that movie to really take give a new sort of nonchalant take on it was so unique and now here we are uh like over 20 years later and it feels like any other alien movie. And that's like such a shame for a franchise that made its name turning the tables on the alien franchise. It it or the alien genre, I should say. Yeah. It's um you know, again, there's there's like a disconnect there. I think I uh, mean if you look at the, if if you look at the franchise through each chapter, right? Like the first one is a classic, right? Very rewatchable. Uh the second one was a big disappointment. And then the third one was a modest surprise. I thought that one was was like you know was good. Added surprisingly. a breath of fresh air to like they showed that they weren't done. Right, there was still something left. There's still but some now life. in this and this fourth one, I didn't feel like there was really any life yet, which is interesting because it seemed like they were setting up for a new trilogy with this pair. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre because I do think on like. This is actually where I do appreciate Chris Hemsworth's buffoon, at, like his act. I'm like, okay, buffoonery. This buffoonery. Uh, I thought they got along very well. I think they actually kind of were, you know, Tessa's the the straight person and Chris is the you know the macho man. I think they worked they worked well together. They have worked before, so they had that chemistry. Um, right. This all falls on the right. It, it all falls on the the script for me. And yeah, no, it just it didn't offer anything. I was shocked that like she should have already like i'm, I'm kind of rewriting a better movie in my head right now but like she should have already been a member of the men in black because i I'm, had it, the same it, exact I'm thought like, we are wasting so much time 
and there and Emma Thompson is just like, okay, you're a member. Meanwhile, when Will so Smith easy. got it, when and, and the thing is, you you have to compare it to the original. When Will Smith got it, there are some memorable scenes of him taking the the table, like his his training scene was like as you know, it's part of the film. Right. It's again a lot of unexpected moments. It's got that very like self aware humor to it, and in this version, you're right. There's no reason to have that whole bit. First of all, it's very easy for her to discover the men in black, where they are, become a member. It yeah. seemed like anyone who has the slightest interest in aliens and the slightest suspicion that there's a government-run agency that handles aliens would be able to become a member <laughs> and be able to like discover where they are, just waltz right in. And you're right, you could have cut all that out and just have her just already like starting. Like It's her first day. Yeah. Like, that's how you oh, start yeah. the movie. That's it's excellent. her first day. She's already there because that whole the, everything about her getting there was completely uninteresting. And you can like, also you're gonna get there. have the same backstory. Like you don't have to change a damn thing about her, about her, about her parents, about the alien that she met. Like you don't have to change a damn thing. But I feel like I, I was so like, I, I wasn't, I guess I was bored by this movie, but I was more in shock because I was curious to see this. And I was a bit like, oh, how bad could it be? And it's, it's bad in the way that like in your scale of like, it's like, oh man! The, not only did they like such a missed opportunity of potential, but like it's kind of boring. It is. It's forgettable, bad, right? And yeah. that's a real shame because the original movie is so memorable that, like, we still watch it tw- twenty-five years later. It is. It still holds up. And this one, uh, definitely not so much. I mean, trying to look back, the the audiences they did like it. You know, to a degree, 66%. And maybe just because it, it follows the familiar beats of not even Men in Black, but just of, you know, like it follows a very uh, formulaic plot structure. It has like the feel of a comedy, I guess. There's like, there are jokes that didn't work for me, but there are jokes in there. Like you had the Pawnee character um, by um, Kunal. Um, yeah, he was the comic. Yeah, and okay. but that character didn't work at all for me either. Like this, there's nothing funny about any of his lines for me. It just, um, you know, I just I was so uninterested the whole time. I think just like at one point I was trying to understand the story, which I think the the if uh, the story definitely came first over the characters, a hundred percent. But the story was so confusing, in, in, or at least like convoluted in a way that it's just like it was a predictable, but also, uh, like once again, like I, Edgar the Cockroach is a great villain because we also get to spend time with him. If they're trying to like show us that Liam Neeson is like the back, like I have no idea who the Hive is until like the end, and it's just like, oh yeah, like. Like, just uh, the ex-girlfriend, like, it, it really is kind of a scavenger hunt where we have, like, okay, now we go to this set piece. Now we go to this set piece. And I'm so, oh, jaded, you know I'm so jaded by CGI at this point where I miss, pra- yeah, I, me too. I miss, I miss makeup and practical effects. And Rick Baker I can't help. did the Men in Black makeup, who's excellent. Right. I can't help, like, when I watch these CGI stuff movies that I, like, all I can imagine are the actors on set looking at nothing. That's that's all I see when I see like a CGI yeah. fest, but it's it it is a shame. 
And because I again I like these actors, and again I like the idea of following like you know, again like let's let's diversify the cast of it. Like let's let's follow like a, um you know a man a woman in black and uh just just you know to to mix it up and uh you know like if in an alternate universe where Linda Florentino does not have all like the controversy and craziness and you know she's able to continue having a Hollywood career. I would think men in black Two would have continued the story of her and Will Smith's partnership. And that, you know, you could have had what maybe this movie was striving for, but alas, uh, we, you know, that is not the universe we live in. So another thing, it was the thing from captain Marvel where the supposed bad guys are actually the victims yeah. of a different bad guy. And that's another twist. But, um, you know, again, at that point, I was just kind of watching the I time. Think, so. I think they, what they thought they were doing differently was like, okay, the first three men in blacks have most, for the most 95% of the movies, it's a New York film. What like how do we how do we breathe some fresh life into this? Okay, we make uh, you know Tessa Thompson, Woman in Black, um, but we make it international, and it's like okay, you got the first part right. That's a breath of fresh air. But maybe instead of travel hopping, how about you do something that like I don't know. I like one idea that just popped in my head is just like what if you have an alien who's going to reveal himself to people. Like a cult leader or something like yeah, that. Everyone, like you have a group of uh, like yeah. you, you have to like I'm not saying make it like James Bond, but you have to be a little bit clever with your ideas like this. Where like you know, it's like okay, every idea has been done, but what really hasn't been done or what's relevant right now? And it's just yeah, you see, uh, and this one just did what had been done already. They did the joke as well, where like here are the celebrities that are actually aliens. Yeah, like, we already got that in the original movie. Here's an update. Like, oh, Donald Glover is uh, uh, an alien. Wow, like didn't see that joke coming. Actually, I didn't see like uh, Don- I'm like Donald Glover. I'm like okay, I can see Elon Musk, but uh, whatever. Like Donald Glover was. You they really focused any- on Donald Glover being an alien. <laughs> right, like. Any any you could make that joke about literally any celebrity, because all celebrities are a little weird. But you know there you have it. So yeah, at the end of the day, these uh, the these kinds of movies where they they revitalize an old franchise and they swap out a male lead for a female lead, it just kind of it's like a half baked idea. Like that is not enough to sustain or warrant uh you know a movie being made. And it all almost comes across as gimmicky. Oh, I think, and this is like, I, I think they're just. This might be a surprise cynicism, but they're like, they want to have their cake. The studios want to have their cake and eat it too. They want like we are progressive and giving females the lead, but like we're just doing this because we think we know. Like we think this will make money. We see we're doing the right thing. Like we are like. And so we don't really have to put that much thought into, like, what IPs do we have? Can we make Harry Potter a girl? And, like, it, like, it, yeah. can we, like, instead of creating a new idea with new characters, let's just settle. And I would forgive that if, like, they did, like, what Blade Runner 2049 did to Blade Runner. Make it a totally 
unique story in the world. Don't rehash the same beats of the first story right. that we know. And I know Men in Black International didn't, but we've seen that in other stories, as we said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, we can only hope that eventually they run out of franchises to revitalize and they have to eventually go back to making original Please, content. I hope we don't see Robo Girl Cop. <laughs> Robo waitress. Like, I hope we don't see, like, <laughs> like I just that will that's when I know I'm living in a satire. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe that's what this kind of thing needs to put an end to it once and for all is like something so outrageously, you know, anti that sort of trend that you know we won't see it ever again. If there's one kind of adaptation, or sorry, one kind of uh, revamp that I find more annoying than the gender swap it is the next topic we're discussing our last topic which is the disney live action remakes there's been so many of them so many and they're still yeah. coming the two that we're going to discuss actually i believe came out in the same year mm -hmm. uh aladdin and the lion king and i think these two are basically the epitome of this trend of live action remakes and what i feel like doesn't really work about you know what doesn't really work about redoing it this way so let's let's start with aladdin the the worser of the two evils <laughs> i would argue uh, yeah i would agree so aladdin uh falls into the category of having a negative score with critics 57 percent. so like they don't like it but they don't hate it what a 94% with audiences. They loved it. And I have to really wrap my brain around that. It's it's that's a tough one for me to reconcile. But here we go. So the the critics consensus for Aladdin. Aladdin retells its classic source material story with sufficient spectacle and skill even if it never approaches the dazzling splendor of the animated original. Sufficient I disagree with that. Nothing about this movie is sufficient to me. This was really actually kind of hard for me to watch, actually. I thought Aladdin, this remake, was so bad, I could not watch it in one sitting. Huh, really? I, was, I found myself pausing so much because I was, I was cringing so much, just from the really bad comedy to the really bad reimagining of the musical numbers, the really wooden acting, and the production value. This movie, and I also have to go back to Milan as well, like the production of these two movies feel like something from like a children's theater company from the overly colorful costumes to the sets that look like they're an amusement park or something. It all looks like it's catered to just little kids. It's visually to me unappealing. And that's like the antithesis of what made those movies so amazing when they were animated. Cause they were like stunning visually. And it's like, they went the complete opposite. So I, I was actually really strongly dislike this um, and and also The Lion King, but for other reasons. Uh, I liked it. No, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, uh, no, That's uh, it. I This is probably the most cynical trend of the four, I would say. Just because, like, in the beginning, they came out with Cinderella and Jungle Book. And those were 
what I would call like reimaginings. Like Jungle Book, the cartoon really was like more vignettes. It didn't have a plot. It added a plot plus I would say groundbreaking special effects made for an enjoyable story. Cinderella was just like another re like a beautifully told reimagining with really good acting. And Disney said Disney basically hit the jackpot at a casino and they got a high from it saying like, "All right, what can we do? Okay, let's 90s renaissance baby. Let's go. Okay, we got Beauty and the It's guaranteed, guaranteed money. a billion dollars. Both of these movies plus Beauty and the Beast, Jungle Book before it Why? hit a billion dollars and Come on, people! Stop supporting you, this this kind of. And you movie also have game. like I remember, like they're not going to support like Lady and the Tramp, which I forgot they did a live action remake of that. But they straight, first movie straight to Disney straight to Plus, streaming. As, and so is the new Pinocchio. That's going straight to Disney Plus. So that's might that might be telling there. Well, actually, if you think about it, the very first one, if you had to go way way back. The 1996 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. I was a kid. I and enjoyed it. She, she was great. I remember her being excellent. Right. She's great as Corel DeVille, and there's nothing else really about the movie that stands out. But then in 2010, we discussed in another bonus episode the Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. That made a billion dollars, remake, too. Which also. That made a ton of money too, so that might also that, like that got the ball yeah, that's, rolling. That's the one with the continued success, like you mentioned, of Cinderella, uh, the Jungle Book. It really started to pick up. We got D and the Beast, and basically everything is fair game yeah. at this point. But to at least Alice in Wonderland's credit, oh. that was a also a reimagining. At least she went back. At least like it was like a, a mix of like the ja like it was something different enough and maybe i have a, a little more respect for that movie just because like you're getting like with i'll add beauty and the beast to this too like you get these movies you basically get like a blander version of the cartoon that we love so we're gonna go see it mixed in with like an extra song or two to help out with the padding to make it more like not 89 minutes but like 110 115 and for the life of me, I will never understand why Guy Ritchie, who is a really good director in like London crime caper and and like London crime movies, like he owns that genre. I love The Gentleman. That was a fun movie. I don't know why the hell he's doing Aladdin. He must know somebody. He must have asked for a favor. And it worked out in his favor. It made a billion dollars. But there is nothing... He doesn't know how to shoot a. He doesn't know how to do, shoot choreography. He's very. It, it's it, uh, there's. They should have done Return of Jafar or something. It was really bizarre to me how small scale the whole movie felt, and that kind of goes back to my whole like children's theater sort of feel. It, it's like, with the exception of a whole new world, they really don't go anywhere in this movie, and it all feels very limited. Also, like. I had all the actors, all the all the characters feel so watered down. I mean, this Jafar is yeah. like so uninteresting. I don't understand what they were doing with this Jafar character. He he's like so toned down, and it's like the most uninteresting performance ever as a villain. You know, you can have a really fun. I I would think if you're Jafar, you would have a lot of fun hamming yeah. it up in that movie. But and yet they they do the opposite with that. And then the biggest point of contention in this is Will Smith as the genie. I, I was kind of like 
freaked out by the CGI animation of when he's like the blue genie because it just it looks so weird. It's like uncanny valley yeah. weird. For me. And like I don't know, they made they made him like beefy. I thought that was really bizarre. They made him like really like muscly, and then they gave him like a love interest at the end. Like what? I, I didn't get any of that. What? In addition to watering down like Jafar, like you you bring in Alan Tudyk to do Iago, and it's just like, like I, okay, you can't do Gilbert Gottfried, but you could make Iago a character instead of a, a plot device. Nope. Uh, but when it came to Will Smith, and this is my exact criticism for that I had with uh, with Suicide Squad, and he's the best part of this movie. He at least has some. It's so weird talking about Will Smith now, but I'm not gonna bring up that moment. Um, it's not neither here nor there. 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 He, uh, but like he is, he is a charismatic actor, and. He is doing something that's different than Robin Williams, which I do appreciate. Right, and I, I appreciate – I'm glad that is the case. It's He's, Will it's Smith's genie. I appreciate take, that. It's his version of the genie, but I feel like that they totally mishandled that because they, they could have done a lot more with like when there's like multiple of him on screen. They only do that like once or twice. They well, you know, Oh, yeah, yeah. They don't do anything really that they, clever with they it. They really <laughs> – they don't really do that much clever with his ability to like transform or to like quickly become different kinds of characters. Cause you get like a little glimpse of that in some moments, like in the Prince Ali song, but it is really unexplored. And uh, that's another missed opportunity there. So like, you know, you go for him and it almost seemed like he had to be so center stage that all the other actors had to really play it down. Yeah. It's and because all those other characters in in the cartoon, like the father's a character, like everyone has like their characterizations, and I like I I had to laugh at one point, uh, just because like jazz, like I I I knew what they were gonna do with Jasmine, and I'm actually okay with making her more of a character, and in a lot of ways they did it right, but like when she started singing her song the second time, I'm like, wait, who? Wait, what's going on? Like, did she just like freeze time? And it's just like she's—I don't know. It, the reprise of that was very yeah, that was awkward weird. for me, and I just started enough that it made me laugh. But it was just like it—I don't know why they got Guy Ritchie to uh, because I don't think his style show or his his style, which is once again London crime dialogue, and like he writes his yeah. movies too. Like it did not come out in this movie at all. They should have gotten like a Disney director who can do, who can help out with choreography and is creative enough. Lin Manuel Miranda would have been fine. I don't know. It's just someone, as you said, would have been creative with the genie. Would have been for it's, it. Should have been colorful. <laughs> it was well. It, the, I, it was colorful in the wrong way. Like I said, the yeah. costumes were so like overly bright. I'm like, what? What kind? I guess they're trying to go for like. Uh, sort of a, a fantasy fairy tale come to life sort of look, but again, that doesn't really look very appealing. And I really resent how pandering this movie seemed to be for little kids because what with what made the original versions in the '90s so great is that they were 
family entertainment. The yeah. whole family can enjoy these movies. And I'm not even saying like, here's a joke for adults, here's a joke for little kids. Like there are elements that both, like the whole family equally enjoys. And that wasn't really taken into consideration here. Now it has a 94% with the audiences. And I guess it's like, cause it's serviceable. If you'd go with your kids to the movie theater, depending on the age, I guess they will enjoy this, but I fear that they will only know this version of it because it just, it pales in comparison to the original one. I, I, I was getting paranoid. Like are, is this going to be a generation of kids who only know the Will Smith version and do not know the Ryan Williams think so. version? I think, uh, I think with all of the live action ones, and may, and and who knows, uh, the Little uh, Mermaid could be something else, and uh, but whatever. But I, I think with um, Aladdin, it's just, or at least like the movies that we're talking about, it's you're all, it's always better to go back to the original. Uh, like it's yeah, every, time, every time. It's just, I, I just see the sin. I just see the cynicism. It, it, like it's just like okay, this is gonna. You're gonna see this movie. Doesn't matter how old you are. You're gonna see it, and you're gonna pay us money, and we're gonna make a billion dollars, and we're gonna make more of them, and they're gonna look as soulless as the animals in uh in uh Lion King. It just like I'm not saying the, I'm not saying these movies are. At a corporate level, it's made cynically, but on a, I, I don't want to like, I think the actors gave it their all. I don't, like, I don't want to begrudge anybody, but I don't. It just ends up being a lot of, and this is maybe the trend with all these trends: mediocrity crap. I'd rather have an awful fucking movie than something like this. Yeah. It. Yeah, I, I, I did feel like I was watching something that was made in a factory as opposed to something lovingly drawn with hand, you know, by like hand like a focus animation. group. Like, oh, like, like, how did you guys feel about yeah. this scene? Like, oh, maybe this could be like, like made it like a made it like a marketing yeah. meeting, you know, and I agree. Like, you know, it's actors. I don't know how much I can fault them. But again, yeah, I, I mean, even like the Jasmine character, I feel like they're not really bringing much personality to these. The Sultan was, again, they sucked the life out of that character. I just think they were just shooting for like the safest possible thing to reimagine this movie with. And again, like, okay, well, they got a comedian from the 90s who's like a funny, well-known actor now. Well, of course, Will Smith. Who else was it going to be? But I, a point that will come up in The Lion King, which is a point I'll make up here too, is that these do not make sense to make live action. Because the stories themselves lend themselves to animation. Like the character of the genie lends himself to the animated form. And it just, like, you're just limiting yourself by making a live action version of it. It just makes no sense creatively, only monetarily. And that's going to become more apparent when we, as we transition into The Lion King, which I think made even more money. Yeah. One question I want to ask, and I'm kind of curious, and I might ask it again with The Lion King, but. If, if this movie was going to be made regardless and uh, what if they went another path with it and I'm not saying like return to Jafar but what if they like took the character of Aladdin and just kind of gave it a different story like it doesn't it, like it's kind of like what if they took one of the episodes from his like animated show and just turned it into a movie like what like return of Jafar or Prince of uh, King of Thieves like what if they took that character and just they they took the character of Aladdin and just kind of did something different with it. Would that 
you're shaking your head. So I'm like, okay, so maybe there's something like the, the character of Aladdin is very interesting and well, is what if, worth exploring beyond an origin story. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, what if you yeah you did Aladdin, but it's like an Alice in Wonderland thing where it takes place after. Yeah, something the like there's story. something different than we haven't seen before, and I know it. I I I can hear people, or at least I can hear Disney saying in my head, "It's like no, but you people want to go to the." People want want to go to what they know. They want to go. To, they want to hear uh, a whole new world. They want to hear this. They want to do that. I'm like, but you can hear that already. Have a, have some have some faith in your audience to want like, you know, to, to be somewhat challenged or have something new. But even it's offensive to me that they would make it also like so soullessly. Like, you know, like a whole new world in this version is sung with like no passion at all. Like that the original version of a whole new world is this beautiful song of of discovery and a growing romance and exploration and you hear it in the voice actors in this version it's like they're bored yeah. <laughs> there's like there's this there's um a total misunderstanding of the original version there and i think that that kind of little snippet sort of sums up uh you know what what they got wrong about the whole movie but i think we can move on to the lion king which as a very similar divide as Aladdin. 52% with critics, which is a rotten score, 88% with audiences. So a very high fresh score. And uh, the consensus to The Lion King, while it can take pride in its visual achievements, The Lion King is a by-the-numbers retelling that lacks the energy and heart that made the original so beloved, though for some fans that may just be enough. I mean, that could also be the consensus for the Aladdin movie, you know, by the numbers, lacking energy, lacking heart. I mean, yeah, it's it's all the same, but it's amplified in this movie. I mean, this movie makes the least amount of sense to make live action. I mean, it's it's not even really live action. It's just CGI, really. But yeah, it's it's this was also one that I could not watch in one sitting. You know, these are dead eyed animals. They have no facial expressions because they're so photorealistic it is it, it's it makes no sense i said to myself like, i'm like this is what hell must be like it just it 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 does make sense for them to make it live action because at least in in, in the mind of a gambling addict they made a billion this hey they yeah you're right they, they made the most money they have ever made on this uh, of all the the live actions and i will admit too when i saw the trailer for this the trailer looked good because like they had this big moment where they posted like all the casts and it's like all like huge A-listers. It's like, Oh, well, like if all these people are in it, it must be good. Right? No, but you know, they, they, they had fooled me initially with the way that they presented it. So I understand why it made so much money. They looked at jungle book and said like, okay, this, we have the technology, let's make Lion King. And I think the problem with, yeah, no, it's like what you have with animation is you have facial expressions. It just, yeah. They, the only thing that I think they added that was new was, uh, and they didn't even make Beyonce a character. I like that. What like they? I know they probably upped Nala's role, but they didn't make Nala more of a character. But they gave Nala a song. Well, first of all, like the adult version of Nala, only has maybe like less than ten minutes of screen time, right? Because, you know, like. Their kids for the first half of the movie, and then the second half of the movie, she doesn't show up for much later, right? So, like, 
her her presence, even though she's like second build in this, she, you know, she she has obviously a very limited presence in the movie. You're not gonna have Beyonce at the low billing. <laughs> no, of course you're not. Unless she made it with Beyonce, right? That's the only way you could do that. Like I, I'm watching this going like I just I, like before I just want to watch the original. Like this is so. It's not that it's boring. I it, like and I I like I I want to come up with a word that's better than boring because it. I, I remember seeing this in theaters. I did see this in theaters because I saw it with cousins. And you're right. There is something to... I didn't go in, into this movie like a curmudgeon going like, oh, it's not the original uh, because I don't want to be that person. But it was a packed house. And yeah, you're surrounded by families and kids are laughing. And you don't want to like go up to these kids going, what are you laughing about? Like, do you not know cinema? Do you not know animated cinema? Like, you kids are wrong. Yeah, it, it, like, it, like, okay, kids are having fun. But I think... I like I think there's something missing in this film and I, I I don't know maybe we'll discover it what it is in the discussion but it's just like there's something missing obviously and it's not facial expressions it's soul for starters it is probably the most shot for shot of all the remakes and I find that to be uninspiring yeah very pointless like you know i I know for example um we were talking about into the woods in part one of this bonus episode i was like annoyed by how far away they deviated but it was the way they deviated like i think if you're gonna adapt something yeah maybe like like you said put a new spin on it do some things differently and you know for this to do it so shot for shot it's like like remember how there's like a shot for shot remake of Psycho that was made in like 1999. It's like, like why, <laughs> like why, why would you do that if unless it was like for like a, a student project or something? Like we're always gonna go back to the original version. So, um, yeah, I find that to be like tedious because it's exactly what there, there's no surprises basically. Do you think? And now there's a uh, man. These could get canceled or not made at all but like i heard they're making like a scar prequel or something i guess based on cruella and i'm like no that that's not can we not do this can we like i don't know i yeah i don't know if there's a scar prequel that i I don't know where you would go with that you know i had to ask myself during this film and i and you know the same could easily apply to the cartoon scar must have hated at what point do you go like i don't want to be king anymore i like i got to be king i'm happy to do it for a year but this job is tough my reign is coming my reign is awful uh i don't want to be king anymore you can have it yeah well you know that's how he really is he's willing to let people starve and like and i'll ask what i asked with aladdin like if they did i know the the, they did a sequel to lion king that was based off like uh Romeo and Juliet. And yeah. maybe we don't have to go that route, but we could go, we could look at something like, we could do something different with The Lion King instead of this one, yes, is way more shot for shot. Well, I had an idea. What if you made, remade this? I, this this is like, this would never get made, but this is just throwing this out there. What if you remade The Lion King live action, but with no dialogue? It is just like the line, like the whole story, but all it's like, it's almost like watching a nature documentary or anything, but the like everything follows the rest of the plot except there. I guess there's no songs because they have no like dialogue. They don't sing. No, but you have a good score to it. That you know what I was right. thinking. I said, what if this was shot like a nature documentary? Exactly. Could that have been? And so you're like the the no dialogue part is so 
it's so risky. I don't know how you would do it. Honestly, I'm just throwing that out there as an idea because like at least that if you're going to make it like live action, quote unquote, and make the animals super realistic looking, then why not just go all the way? You know what? There's something there's something, you know, it would be a lower budget because Grant, I'm, I'm not saying that this kind of special effects is cheap, but it would be lower budget because you're not paying Beyonce like $20 million. You're not, you're not like everything else. Like you could really market that ver that movie could probably make its money back based on people being curious alone. Right. And if I guess you could just get David Attenborough to narrate <laughs> hmm. to do like those. But I think there's something, but I hope that The Little Mermaid is different. But that's another one where, like, just the very setting underwater lends itself to animation. You're just setting, giving yourself a challenge. Like, again, it could be done. Anything could be done. But it is, it is like, not intuitive to do a live-action movie with characters underwater like that. It, yeah, because, like, like, think about Aquaman, right? Like, we already kind of got a sense of that. And that kind of, to me at least, looked weird. Oh, I just saw that we're getting another. Okay, in addition, because I was curious to see who was directing, um, the Little Mermaid, uh, and I, I think it's our boy, uh, it's our boy Rob Marshall. It's interesting. They're giving um David Lowry, who he did Pete's Dragon, which is a very, like, of all the Disney live action remakes, that's probably the one that like won't be discovered right away but if you discover it you're in for you i think you i told you when we were living together i watched it once i found it like charming i almost watched it the other day i was very curious so i might watch it i might also rewatch the original one which i haven't seen since i was like maybe eight years old or something but i think that kind of also brings up another point i wanted to make which i think we've discussed uh in other conversations which is that yeah, you should make more live-action remakes of the movies that weren't as successful. I think you mentioned this, but if you did a live-action remake of, like, The Black Cauldron or of The Sword and the Stone, you know, like, there's, like, lesser-known properties or just they weren't as successful for whatever reason that have potential to redo them, right? Because if you make a movie, you have the most creative potential for the ones that, like, you know, like, were, were maybe went under the radar and give them new life. Like, the, how are you going to top The Lion King? You're going to make The Lion King... Obviously, it's just to make money, but you're not. That movie is like one of the most cherished animated films ever made. It's considered a masterpiece. So, like, what, what as a as a creative person, if you're John Fav, um, yeah, John Favreau, right? If you're, you know, what, what, what can you possibly do to outdo the original one? You can't do it. I, you know, I think they Disney kind of missed the boat on this, but they could have made a really good during the height of Sherlock Holmes, when uh, Benedict Cumberbatch was doing Sherlock Holmes and everyone was watching it. The Great it, Mouse Detective? I'm not saying live action. I'm just saying they could have brought that back and it would have been a really, like, I, I think the, they missed the boat on that. Hey, man, the best, the be one of the best live action revivals I've, I've seen in a long time, uh, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. That movie was awesome. That movie was surprisingly awesome. Like, I, I, I and granted, I have faith in the Lonely Island team but I wasn't expecting it to be like uh, like Lethal Weapon or something like that. It was like akin to that. I really liked it. And I also, I did get a kick out of the moment where like all the Seth Rogen animated characters kind of show up at one moment because he has done a lot of voice work over the years. And I, I did not really care for his Pumbaa. I feel like a lot of his Pumbaa was just kind of shitting on the original version. 
but I found it weird. I found it we- like again. We can always say like uh like I you know, it's not that Billy Eichner and uh, Seth Rogen doing Timon and Pumbaa was real. I, I weird. I thought like okay, I, it makes sense, but I didn't understand the full on nihilism. That I'm like I did have to say like this is a kids movie. This isn't Joker. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh yeah, nothing matters. Life is meaningless. And I'm like, that's so bizarre to put in a kid's movie as just like casual dialogue. I just, and, and that, that's like a, a, a nitpick that maybe that I picked up. It just bugged me. Well, I think that a lot, a lot like DreamWorks kind of started this thing where they would cast Seth Rogen in a lot of their movies, if not him, then Jonah Hill to kind of add that like bit of like sardonic humor into it. Maybe to like bring a little more edge, get maybe some older kids in there who like their movies, and I kind of I think Lion King this remake kind of does the same thing by casting Seth Rogen, and so they want a little bit of his, I guess more like edgy humor, uh, or self aware humor, but they kind of just throw it in there without thinking if it made any sense. Well, you don't really get you don't like I, I was thinking about that with um. It's kind of like fan casting, and that's how I see. Like, that's how I see all these like live action. Like, who would you cast as Scar? Oh, I never thought of Ch- uh, Edgy Four. Like, I never thought of him, and now I do. Uh, but it's like, um, like Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. Oh, that's interesting. Like fan casting. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it's it's quite transparent why these movies were made, and you know, it's they, they keep getting the returns, so they're going to keep on coming, but they're going to run out of properties to do, and they're going to have to eventually resort to the lesser known ones. And then we might have something to look forward to that might be an improvement. I'll say this as a fan of Disney they really need to step it up. Well, I'll tell you this too I think, think about all the original content they could have made with the same money they spent making all these live action remakes. I mean, yes, they made a billion dollars and all of these, they, they spent you know, tens if not hundreds of million dollars making them. You know, Disney used to make original live action content, right? Or like based on something, but it was like based on a book like Holes or something. They used to actually have really good material for, I would say like, like, you know, young teenagers or preteens. Like they, they actually had like, you know, a really like genuine, sincere uh, like live action studio, not not just like the Touchstone, but like live action Disney stuff. And so we haven't gotten that for many moons, and maybe one day we'll get back to that where they realize there is value in making uh, that sort of content that you know could be um, more like you know more more worthwhile family entertainment because it's you know families deserve more than just rehashing old content. Yeah, it's gonna it, it, something. It's gonna hit a. A creative critical point but i don't think it, at least on that on the live action stuff uh the pandemic might have put that on hold but yeah you're about to see like uh once again david lowry is doing peter pan i'm curious the, the man did the green knight he does interesting stuff there was a live action peter pan in like 2002 or something i forgot about that with like jason isaac but um, so like this kind of thing. Oh, there's always going to be Peter Pan's. There's always I think like as long as it's in the public domain, it's yeah. always a million Peter Pan movies, a million Cinderella movies and a million Pinocchio movies. Those, you know, th- those will be uh, always getting made every now and then. But the difference, I think, with like, OK, with, uh, you say Pinocchio, the Robert Zemeckis one looks like just a rehash of 
something that we saw. Like, okay, who would you cast as Geppetto? Tom Hanks. It's fan casting. But the the uh, Guillermo del Toro one, which I've been kind of interested in, number one, it's stop motion. But it also is going to take place in 1930s Italy, which is fascist Italy. I think that's a yeah. unique something we've never seen before that's worth making and worth watching no i'd definitely be keeping my eye on that project and uh yeah obviously a director that has a great track record so i'm sure that that will be more worthwhile um yeah last thing i say about the lion king too the most jarring of all these photorealistic animals i thought was zazu because he literally does not have lips <laughs> as you see his beak moving up and down he's making sounds that should not be physically possible for him um okay so and now this (laughs) yeah exactly so okay we've reached the end keith we've talked about all these divided movies all these divided trends here we are before we before we you know close shop uh i did promise that i would reveal the tally for the amount of times we sided with audiences and amount of time we sided with critics and these are just in the regular episodes like i did not count bonus episodes but here we go. So you guessed that we would side with critics more often than audiences, but not by too wide of a margin. That's that's my guess. Okay, the split, the percentage split between critics and audiences. We sided more often with the drum roll, please. The critics. Da, 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 da. So we sided with the critics. And we sided with them 59% of the time. Oh, okay. Audiences, 41% of the time. Audiences, how much? So 41% of the time with audiences, 59% of the time with critics. Okay. Okay. So, you know, roughly a four to six ratio there. And, uh, yeah, I like that. I think, you know, I would like if it was a little closer together, but hey, you know, maybe we're a little more snobby than we had initially thought we'd be. It's not seven to three, though. It's it is a six. That's what I. It's a little wider margin than I imagine. But you did percentage. I was kind of curious. Uh, oh, so the literal amount of times, and again, this is like we had we had uh, sixty six episodes that were not bonus episodes, uh, and so. That was 39 times with the critics, 27 times with the audiences. All right. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, I think everyone who has a podcast should have their statistics put back. It is kind of an amazing number. That, but yeah, no, uh, I've been satisfied every, with every, how, how we, how, whatever we landed on with each movie. I've never been like, I've never disagreed with it. So this has been, this has been quite a journey, my friend. But you know, there's, there's, there's always like an open door there. So you know, whether it's divided films or you know something else, uh, I don't think we'll be able to stay away from the airways for too long. I, I think. think we'll be seeing each other and our listeners very soon. But thank you everyone for listening to all our episodes, all of our guests. Yes, thank and- you. And uh, Keith, you know, like you, know, you edit these episodes, you turn them out so quickly. I couldn't have asked for a better podcast partner on this. Hey, you got the guests and you picked the movies, man. I couldn't have done it without you. So, say, man, this is this has been a wild love ride, you. and I love you too, man. This is this has been a lot of fun. But uh, yep, yeah, so and then continue listening to our friends' podcasts as well. 
you know uh you know i the duck and the greetings uh greeting card podcast you know uh there's there's lots of other great content out there too that are made by close friends of ours so um you know for our listeners out there make sure you check those out too but uh we'll see you sometime soon tbd Thank you.